video recordings of this podcast can be found on RaisingEquity.org and Raising Equity on YouTube. Hey folks, welcome to Raising Equity. I'm Dr. Kira Banks, and today I'm excited to have with us Yamani Yance Hernandez, who's a partner at the Management Center. And most recently, she was the first Black executive director at National Network of Abortion Funds. There, over the seven years she was there, she built the staff from 12 to 60, the budget from 2 million to 20 million, and really worked to cultivate a values-aligned and embodied community rooted in racial, economic, gender, reproductive justice, and the politics of care. She has her BS from Cornell University, her master's in architecture from the University of Washington, and she takes tremendous joy in being a plant, dog, and human mom. And I also just have to share, she's my cousin. And so I wanted to share all those credentials because, I mean, she's, she's amazing. And also, she's a lovely person. I'm so happy to have her with us on Raising Equity. Welcome, Imani. Thank you. Thank you for having me. Absolutely. I can't believe it's taken this long and, you know, we won't go there. Just, I'm glad that you're here. <laughs> Just, you know, life gets busy and things keep moving and, and then things will happen in the news. And I'm like, wait a minute. I know someone who's an expert in this area. <laughs> I know someone who's literally led in this arena. And I, I say that because it's unfortunate that it took like the Roe v. Wade uh, leak to make me be like, no, 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 no. We have to have this conversation with Yumani now. Um, because in a way, like reproductive justice is always an important issue to talk about. Like the time is always now to have the conversation. Um, but maybe could we start with you explaining to folks like what's meant when we say reproductive justice? And like, I think so often when people hear it, they think just abortion, but it's more than that, right? Yes. Um, so reproductive justice is a term that was actually coined by Black women in 1993 that is, was meant to distinguish between reproductive rights and reproductive health, and um, which are also both uh, beyond abortion um, because there are so many different aspects of our reproductive lives. Um, but what they really came together to to say was was that um, reproductive justice is the right to have a child, the right not to have a child, and the right to parent the children that you have um, in communities safe from violence. Um, and so they really were complicating the uh, narrative around choice and like you know the sort of standard line of my body, my choice, or you know making a choice around abortion, but um, recognizing that it's not just a health decision, um, but also one that is rooted in like your experience as a black person and or whatever your racial identity is, what your gender identity is, dis your ability, all of these things impact your decision making or whether you feel like you have, you can make decisions about whether you reproduce or how. And I think they really were just trying to um, broaden the aperture of how we think about reproductive health and rights. Yeah. No, I appreciate you sharing that because you see sometimes people make the kind of comment, even like with the recent mass shootings that keep happening, like right? people talk about how like, well, if you care about children, right, you should care about them when they're in school. Like, let's care about children. And so people make that comment like they're like they're saying something new, but reproductive justice would say like that is a part of the conversation that should be, right? 
Exactly. I mean, and I mean, even thinking about I live in Chicago where there is, you know, kind of I would say is sort of a stereotype about the amount of gun violence that is here, but it is also a legitimate problem. Um, and it's something that people think about when they when they I mean, and then thinking about police violence, you know, as a mother, as as parents, um, you know, do you want to bring children into the world where they have a target on their backs? You know, that is that is part of the decision making. And it's kind of presented and um, by anti-choice people as if like people who have abortions are anti-children, anti-family. Um, but the fact of the matter is that most people who have abortions already have children. And so it's not a, it's not as simple as saying, you know, someone isn't doesn't like children or doesn't want them. Um, but also is thinking about the kind of life that they would have and the kind of life that they have as parents and their ability to support families. And this is not a country where there's a lot of support for families. We don't have paid medical leave. We just went through, we're just going through right now a formula crisis. So, you know, what exactly, what kind of choice do you have really if you're living in an environment where there's so little support for, for moms and children and and families. Yeah. So, I mean, it, it, when you think about it that way and when you frame it in that way, it, it is, like you said, so much about so much more. It's about so much more than just a choice. It's about so much more than just abortion, right? It's like, I want the choice to be able to choose how I bring a child into this world and what their quality of life is. And I want to be able to feed them. <laughs> I want to be able to feed them. Right? Like, I, mean, right? I want them to be able to go to school without dying. I mean, those are, you know, very real things that people think about. Yeah. 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 I know for me, it was something to, I have two, two children who identify as boys and so black boys and I, I had to, there was a time where I as they got bigger in the world, right? Because the research, of course, shows that, not of course, but shows that our kids don't get to be kids for as long. They're not seen as innocent, uh, especially if they're tall and large for their age. And so it was this real, um, I, 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 it was like a reckoning I had to do within myself that I literally could not live every day in fear of what could happen to them because of where we live, because of the not just our city, our neighborhood, the society, our world, right? That I I wasn't going to let myself be racked with that anxiety, like that I was going to focus on making sure they had as free of a life as I could create for them. And then like, I can't control the rest. And in some ways, like I think as a parent, you got to do some of that period, but there's extra variables when it comes to race. And so I can't imagine adding like, class struggle and ability and layering all the other pieces. It's it. Yeah. 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 And yeah. I mean, let's not also forget the, the, the maternal health crisis that we have here. And I think reproductive justice in particular is, is very concerned with that. I mean, if you are looking at outcomes of black women giving birth, um, black people giving birth, the outcomes are not good. Um, and so, you know, the thought of whether you're risking your life to 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 give birth is not an attractive option for some people. Um, and, you know, understandably so. So, yeah, for those who are like against abortion, you know, I always, you know, the next questions are, oh, are you working on maternal mortality? Are you 
working on food security? Are you working on neighborhood safety? You know, like all of these things that make um, it more tenable to raise children in this world. So. Yeah, no, that's that's absolutely true. You started to talk about this a bit um, in terms of like intersectionality. And I'm wondering if you can can share a little bit more, like how has the movement for reproductive justice become more intersectional? Uh, and can you give people some of the history of that, how that landscape has changed? And I, I, the reason why I think it's an important framing for people to have is they often, again, I think reduce the conversation to just abortion and having that choice or not. And when we can understand a little bit more of the history and, and you know more than me, right, we can start to see how there's so much that's connected. Their movement, their ways in which movements are connected and that intersectional lens actually helps people come into the conversation from their own positionality. Yeah, I mean, I think I would say that reproductive justice is is a is a term and a movement that has always embraced um, intersectionality. I think it's sort of like a found found foundational principle, um, which I think you know that that term has sort of been like started to get misused, um, and people think it's just like listing off identities, but really. Um, as Kimberly Crenshaw talked about it, it was about compounding oppression. Like, it's not just that, you know, I'm black and I'm this gender or that. Like, it's that with each, with each identity or each uh, oppression that is associated with that, it compounds and it's worse. Uh, and so um, I think that is like what is underneath the the sort of critique of like it's not a choice it's not as simple as a choice because we don't all have the same choices like based on race economic status and i think particularly economic justice is like a a lens that reproductive reproductive justice has zoned in on because um we don't have universal health care we don't have pay equity um black people in this country in particular um, do not have access to generational wealth. I mean, in in the same way that the broader population does. So, um, when you're thinking about uh, whether you how how and whether you make family, if you're not working with the same materials, you know, it's 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 really those choices are feel very limited. Um, you're not making you're not making the same amount of you're not having fair wages. You're getting paid differently. Um, and so I think I'd say economic justice is a big part of reproductive justice. And also um, the Hyde Amendment is something people talk a lot about Roe v. Wade. But a few years after Roe v. Wade, the Hyde Amendment that made abortion legal, um, the Hyde Amendment came along that said that the government cannot pay for abortion, um, the federal government. And so that it's like, is there a right? Is there a right at all if you can't afford to access your right? Right, is your right dependent on whether or not you can pay for it or not? Um, and so that is like necessarily sort of saying like, if you're poor, um, and you're black or a person of color, you are likely going to be experiencing oppression at a at an increased and compounded way um, that makes your choices feel limited. Yeah, no, I appreciate you saying that because I think the way I asked the question didn't didn't capture what I was really getting at because I guess I'm I want people to realize that the reproductive justice movement is is like a is an evolution. So prior to that the, the, or maybe it's how do I say this? It feels like 
it was a it was a new wave that was intersectional that could bring more people into the conversation. And I think we need to be mindful of that because I want us to re- to resist the desire to reduce it to just pro-choice or not, right? Like when I think about feminism, first, second, third wave, fifth, fourth wave, wave feminism, there was a way in which we're evolving to include more folks in the conversation. And I don't want us to slip back and I don't want us to put, fall into like rhetoric or, or sound bites that take us back, <laughs> that the reproductive justice movement it, it, like you said, it talks about like intersectionality theory, who gets lost at the margins and centering those who are lost at the margins and most impacted. And when we do that, we all get more free. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. I yeah. think it is an evolution. And I think there's just a lot of people who haven't been paying attention until now. I don't I think there's a lot of, you know, black people and people of color who hadn't haven't had the luxury of not paying attention um, the truth is that um, white white women of means have always been able to travel wherever they needed to go um, to get get abortion care. And um, I think some of the ways I mean, something that's, I think, changing in the landscape is that the severity and the cruelty of the of the legal strategy is is it's it's intensified and so it's bringing people into the conversation that have not have thought oh this doesn't apply to me so for instance you have states that are basically saying that ectopic pregnancies are illegal um that miscarriage care is illegal because it's all kind of being put under the the um umbrella of abortion there's there's questions about you know uh IVF and you know like if an embryo has rights now like how is that impacting you know and what do what if you are choosing to use certain embryos and let embryos go like are you committing a crime now because that because that is actually a life you know like what you know and like how how are these definitions being used in a and and people are being criminalized around these definitions that are that are that are new that are they're just new and more cruel um and and actually harken back to some of the uh jim crow days of like bounty hunting and you know making and basically deputizing citizens to to um turn each other turn each other in in and get yeah and so like that is just like a new and extreme strategy that um i don't think a lot of people have seen before and so it's it's sort of woken up people that were not that really took it for granted and didn't think that it was going to happen um yeah Hmm. no that's 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 a good point and i mean one of the other things i wanted to circle back to you mentioned the hyde amendment because i think the leaking of the supreme court uh, opinion for roe v wade created this like uproar right and it's important to think about that. And as you said, the Hyde Amendment is also something we need to be questioning and thinking about and putting pressure on our legislator. legislature. Can you explain for folks the distinction and, and how those are connected and, and what we need to be doing around the Hyde Amendment in addition to pressure around Roe v. Wade? Yeah. Um, so a lot of us like that have been in movement for a long time have said like Roe is really the floor. It's like just legality. 
and the having the legal right to abortion has has still not ensured that people have access to abortion like there's 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 um states that have only one clinic for instance so they have to travel for so people have to travel for care or yeah like there's certain states only provide care up until a certain point and so it's there's not it's sort of like separate but equal i guess abortion care in a certain I guess, I don't know, that's, I don't know if that's the right way to think about it, but just that you don't have access, the same access in every state. So you start to sort of like see this patchwork that has, that was before the row league, the, the, the SCOTUS league, um, for decades, people have been traveling states across states to get, um, care. So the Hyde amendment just basically says that federal funds cannot be, cannot be used for abortion care. Um, and so that, what that, does is sort of punt it back to the states to decide whether or not they will they will use state funds for abortion care and so some states do and many don't and so it kind of like it's just like it you we're all you in the united states but depending on what zip code you live in depending on what state you live in you may or may not have access to the same care as someone living in another state and so that's been the reality. Um, and that is something that um, abortion funds and a lot of other advocates have um, been fighting against since 1976, basically. Yeah, yeah. And I think for folks who kind of are new, newer to the space, like that's why abortion funds are so necessary. I think for me, it was Gosh, it might it might be 10 years or so ago where I, I really like the light bulb went on and just, just understanding, like you were saying, the floor versus and just how many ways in which um, the way that we do politics in our country or in terms of states and having lived in a in a in different states and realizing that your flavor of life really is shaped by the state that you live in. Uh, I started to understand those distinctions and why abortion funds were necessary. I live in St. Louis. And if I'm if I know correctly, like the clinic where you can where you have access to abortion care is in St. Louis. So if you're in rural Missouri. Right, you need you need an abortion fund to help you get to where like get to get to the place maybe even have some funds to cover the time that you had taken off of work or to take care of the children that you have. Like that's what's needed to, like you said, make things equitable, really. So it's, it's like a safety net. Um, and it kind of gets me worked up because it's really like the social safety net that the government should be providing. Mm. Um, except mm. you have literally everyday people who have volunteered to pull together money to, um, to pay for people's abortions, to get them to care, to watch their children, to, you know, house people or pay for hotels and all of those things. And um, I just think it's, I mean, I think of them as heroes, but I also think it's ridiculous that that it's on everyday people to figure that out and not be able to rely on our healthcare system. Like, it's just disgusting to mm -hmm. me. So. You, you said a stat that most people who seek abortions have children already. I didn't know yeah, that. It's I over sixty percent. Really? So again, I I think it's important for folks to be educated because you, you you don't want to fall into that trope that often gets you know parroted like oh these are people who are who like are trying to get out of their responsibility and like no they have kids and maybe because they understand the responsibility. 
Yeah, I mean, and I try not to go down too far down that road of like, you know, what's a, what's an okay abortion? What's an okay yes. reason to have an abortion? Yes. What's acceptable? What's not acceptable? Absolutely. Because you don't Absolutely. know. I mean, it, the, the wild thing that I've heard from people who work in clinics is that literally the same people that are outside protesting will come into that clinic with with a with a with a child with a sister and be like I don't believe in this but I need an abortion <laughs> like and so like that is sort of it's that's it's plain as day like it doesn't matter what you think about abortion like it is a medical procedure that is needed and then people have to have access to it and you can feel whatever you want to feel about it but um it doesn't change like whether it's needed or not and most people who well, you know, live in this country, want there to be legal abortion. And so what's happening at SCOTUS is really just going against the will of the people, which is kind of par for the course of where our politics are now. Ooh, that's well said in, the, in capturing that. Yeah. I, so from your perspective, having been in this work for, for decades and knowing the history of it, I, I mean, I imagine you all saw this coming. And so, yeah, I'm just curious, like, because there's some things that happen in my area of expertise where I'm like, hey, y'all, we shouldn't be surprised. This is what got us here. So, like, were you surprised and what got us here? I mean, I I think there's always been sort of like a vocal and some and actually violent opposition to abortion, which has been troubling. Um, I think when Trump was elected and not just when he was elected, but when he was campaigning, um, the kind of the rhetoric that you hear it's extreme and it's actually just outright lies and i really don't like to repeat it but i'm going to repeat it just just to illustrate my point which is because you're seeing it even now like in legislative hearings this notion that people would quote unquote abort a baby seconds before birth um and like they would just like repeat the same thing of like full-term babies being, you know, uh, aborted right after birth. They would say even after birth. I'm like, that is not an abortion. Like, that is not, you're just saying stuff that is actually inciting people. I mean, who wouldn't be upset about thinking about a birthed child? Like, that's something different. That's infanticide. That is, that, you know, those are, that is something different. And, um, yeah, I don't I think it's just a general rule we don't like to repeat that stuff because we don't want to give it any credence, but I don't know how we can not talk about the fact that it is an outright lie. Like it's just and it's strategic and meant to get people to vote for them just solely based on this this lie. Um, and you see them do that with other stuff, you know, about the election, the big lie about, you know, who won the election, all of this stuff. It's just outright lies. And I have seen some history about like, I mean, Trump isn't the first person to make abortion into like a wedge, you know, like a wedge issue. I think that started to happen around Reagan. Um, but it's it's a different flavor um and we did and yeah as soon as he got elected i mean he said it throughout his whole his whole um campaign which was that you know he was seeking to to be the the, the most pro life president i mean which you know necessarily we all understood means to make abortion illegal and he actually answered questions 
you know, would you um, prosecute someone who had an abortion? And he was quoted as saying, yes, there has to be consequences. And, you know, so it was pretty obvious, like the writing was right there. I think, I think that for some people, it seems so outlandish that they just don't, they're like, oh, he just, he's just talking like that's what he does um but it wasn't just talk he was putting all of these judges in place he got all of these supreme court justices you know and so yeah i mean that's what happens that's that's the way this goes and so yeah we have been sounding the alarm for a long time and also preparing really and for us preparing has meant mostly fundraising because there isn't you know, in in a society where, or in a political climate where the government is already choosing not to provide abortion care, like the solution has to be a private solution and it has to come from people um, who have decided to pay for this. So that's why you saw that budget growth in the, in the, in the you know, in my bio uh, and, you know, just abortion funds in general have their budgets have doubled um and some cases tripled over the last five years or so because they have to serve more people and it's and that is it the that bubble has even exploded even just since the scotus league i mean and actually since sb8 in texas um which is i think is important to just know like i think a lot of people are freaked out about roe being um overturned but SBA in Texas happened almost a year ago now, and Roe didn't have to be overturned for them to to make abortion completely unavailable in that state. And so that is, and that is some like cop. There's been copycat laws in in multiple other states. So, and that that law basically says that you can't have an abortion um, after six weeks, and most people don't even know if they're pregnant um, by that time. And then that is the that's also the law where they have they're deputizing uh, citizens uh, Texans basically to report people for and put a bounty on a ten thousand dollar bounty on people's heads. So um, Roe didn't have to be overturned for that. That's already been in effect. It's been going on for a year. Um, so like basically nobody in Texas can get an abortion um, in Texas. Like they have to travel. And Texas is already the size of six states. So it's like trying to travel, you know, from Texas. And it's 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 upsetting because, you know, everybody can't travel. You know, there even if you have the money, there's so many reasons why you might not be able to travel. Maybe you have many young children at home. Maybe you have a disability. Maybe, you know, who maybe you're a caretaker for an elder, you know, like all kinds of things. There's reasons why you wouldn't be able to travel. And I think that's why there's also been this um, conversation about medication abortion mm-hmm. that mm-hmm. has surfaced, mm-hmm. which is, I mm-hmm. think, a really important thing. Um, it's different than some of the, like, back when our parents' days, you know, some of the um, more, I guess, dangerous ways that people ended their pregnancies, um, that it really isn't necessary if you can access um, medication and a lot of abortions in this country, legal abortions happen with medication already anyway. That's the other thing. I think so many people don't know what an abortion is. So because we don't have sex ed and we don't talk about, we're not comfortable talking about sex in general. Most of the people don't know what ovulation is. You know, any of these things that are like, go into what it takes to uh, reproduce. And um, 
so yeah, people don't know that actually an abortion can be as simple as taking two pills um, or four pills and um, and being not pregnant. Yeah. It's interesting because I don't know if you've heard my framework of raising equity nerds, but I the way I, that I think about it when when we raise ourselves, kids, whoever, right, that we want to be willing to name, name the systems that are operating, educate ourselves about the backstory and how we got here, reframe it from an individual to a systemic issue, dream up solutions and start to act. And so when I hear you talking, I I understand like strategically, st- strategically why someone would say, let's not repeat those things or let's not directly you know, respond because it's so outlandish. But I really feel like what you're saying and what you've said is that we ha- we we have to name it like these systems are operating and and we have to name it so that we can educate ourselves and and see and connect the dot that, again, if we don't, we just end up being outraged at every step. And that's like it's exhausting. It's kind of false outrage, because if you connect the dots, you understand what's happening and then you can decide how you act. and in a in a more strategic um uh deliberate way than just being outraged every time a new state passes a new like are we we're, we shouldn't be surprised right it's going to be yeah they're all going to i mean there's a map you can look at it right now and tell which states are going to be <laughs> yeah yeah that's yeah so i'm i'm a big proponent and that's part of why i have folks on who know more than me about topics to help educate me and uh, folks who are listening uh, so regardless, like you said, regardless of how people feel about abortion, you need to understand that from a reproductive justice perspective, that people don't have access to what they need. They don't have access to the care that they deserve and to the care that other people can access. So it is really about it's an equity issue, because like you said, if you're a person of means, you'll be able to access abortion care. Um, well, and this um, is why we say the Hyde Amendment is actually a discriminatory uh, policy. Um, and Henry Hyde, who was the author of it, is actually famously quoted by saying, if I could make abortion um, inaccessible for everybody, I would. But the only mechanism I have is Medicaid, which is, uh, you know, he specifically talks about people who cannot afford care so like you're deliberately and we know in this country that you know economic uh injustice and racial injustice are inextricably linked so you know you don't have to say i'm trying to keep the people of color um from accessing abortion you can just say oh i'm targeting medicaid and it's sort of like a signal what's that what's that dog whistle dog whistle politics (laughs) virtue signaling virtue signaling yeah yeah because disproportionately, it's going to be women of color. Yeah, I was exactly. my, my next question really was going to be about the fact that there's so much happening in the world. What would you say to someone who's like, who doesn't see the connection, who feels like, oh, yeah, there's like more important things to stress about. And you've, you've already started to answer it in terms of like, it's connected to so many issues, economic justice, right? But I just thought I would, I would ask it in that explicit way. If you like, how do you not necessarily persuade, but but articulate for folks why why reproductive justice is important to everyone, even if you don't realize it in this moment. That's a great question. I hope that I have started to answer it. I think you um, have. I I think I I don't engage. I don't engage in those conversations typically, 
around trying to persuade people because I mostly believe that people have kind of made up their minds and are not willing to be moved. If I genuinely talk to someone who is just genuinely curious, um, I will try to make those connections. I mean, I think talking, I think it's amazing that people are talking about the, they're pairing the two things together. Like, oh, you want to force people to give birth and you don't want to have form, we don't have formula for people, you know, like, so it's kind of like you could just pick anything that somebody actually does care about and connect it uh, like pretty easily. The shootings, I mean, Jesus, like people, I mean, they and there's all these, you know, um, reports about like millennials aren't having children as much, you know, like what the fuck, like people are looking at this and being like, mm, nah, that's okay. Yeah. Like, I'm good. <laughs> I don't, I don't really actually, you know, think that's necessary. Yeah. Um, yeah. A universal health. I mean, people in other countries think we are just like they're like, what? You don't go to the doctor, but you don't you don't call an ambulance because you're afraid of how much the ambulance is going to cost. You rather sit in your house bleeding or whatever else because you don't want because you can't afford to pay for health care. Right. And like it's not right. like that in other places. It's so. not. And and so you're so right in the sense that I hear I hear I do hear a lot of folks. I hadn't thought about are they millennials? What generation are they? that are just like, why would I want to bring a child into this? When you think about climate justice or, yeah, I've heard people, especially with the with the school shootings, being like, okay, if we're talking about protecting kids, like, can we protect them from these experiences and not have the response be more guns in the schools or, you know, police in the schools? Because we've that doesn't, that actually doesn't keep school shootings from happening. And so I, I think you made a good point in the sense, yeah, I wasn't thinking like persuade someone who is vehemently against, but more like someone who's like, I don't get it. You're right. There are so many issues that are happening that people are outraged about in our country right now that you could connect to reproductive justice. Um, because again, the fear that you would not be able to feed your child, that you would then have a public school that doesn't adequately teach them the full history and truth, that you would then have a school where they're more, you know, disproportionately likely to be impacted by a mass shooter, like all of these ways in which um, we we are contradicting ourselves in a sense if we're if we're serious about protecting children. Yeah, and I think I mean I think that's the thing is that they're not serious about protecting children. That that's made clear by all of these other policies. So. And again, I feel like it's important for folks to be willing to connect those dots and not just like see things in silos. I mean, like, all right, what's our pattern of behavior? And so then what do we need? We need to be honest with ourselves. Like we need to be willing to acknowledge the patterns that are there and then decide, are we willing to do something different? Are we willing to push for something different or create? And that's where like abortion funds, you know, they're people, they're people who are pushing from the legal perspective, but then there are also folks who are like, okay, we got to take stuff into our own hands. Right. And they shouldn't have to, but they are because it's necessary. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. What do people who want to be involved, engage uh, an effective change agent in the area of reproductive justice? Like what are some kind of do's and don'ts or be mindful of that you would offer to folks? Yeah, um, I think just there's know that there's like a robust network of people who are doing this work and have been doing this work. And I think it's really important in any field, honestly, to like not just show up, you know, as like Christopher Columbus, like, hey, I'm here. 
and I discovered this issue and now I want to do this thing about it. Like, I think it's important to like plug into and learn from people who have been doing it and are doing it and join those folks. Um, so, <clears throat> you know, it's abortion funds are a huge network and I always encourage people to, um, it's actually one of the places in reproductive justice that you can volunteer. There's a lot of places that you, that are more like policy organizations or legal organizations, but it's one of those places that is just, um, yeah, you can, you can go to your local abortion fund and volunteer. You can donate, all of those things. But I was thinking about, I think about this question a lot, and I, and I think that also in a climate where we're going to be, um, where there's going to be so much criminalization, it's important to really just like educate, like for people to know, start doing um, like this. I think about like the Black Panthers and like the breakfast programs and stuff. It was just like you, we can't wait for like some organization, some government, like to to feed us. Like we actually have to figure out how to do that ourselves. And I think that so many of us don't know our neighbors. We're not connected to our local communities. What do you do if your neighbor like needs abortion care and you don't like know what to do or they're experiencing some sort of, <clears throat> and I don't, I don't want to say it's just abortion because I think that that is where it is broader. Like I think we're actually moving into a stage in this country that is like, is fascist and and there's shortages of all kinds of stuff, like food, gas, like you can't, how do you, how are we strengthening our local networks of people to like be able to support each other? And I think that that is that community care and mutual aid piece is, includes abortion, but it's so much more than that. Um, are we doing, you know, carpooling and, you know, watching each other's kids and helping feed each other and all of those kind of things. And I think those are going to be really necessary in the environment that we are headed towards. Um, I don't even want to say headed towards that we're in. <laughs> um, and we've gotten, you know, we're a long way from like, I don't know, our ancestors who didn't have social media and screens everywhere and were like unplugged, you know, that were like plugged into like, we, we, we used to be more plugged into each other, you know, and I think that that is going to be a necessary shift. Um, so that was like not a concise answer, but I think read up on, you know, the issues, find out who's out here doing it already. You don't have to start something new. Um, but do invest in relationships and um, give, give, give. <laughs> yeah. 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 I was thinking about um, one of the things that I saw buzzing around when people are like, it's the handmaid's tale and blah, blah, blah. And can you explain for folks why that is not the analogy that they need to be making? While I hear you saying we need to sound the alarm, we've been sounding the alarm, why that's not the analogy that's useful? Yeah. Um, the critique on the handmaid's tale is just that, um, well, for one, you know, it's it's really like a white woman's story and image like that that accompanies that. And it's and for a lot of people, it feels like erasure to like all of the people of color that have been living this reality already. Um, and actually, um, what are, what's her name? Margaret Atwood mm -hmm. um, did a bunch of research on like communities of color and what they were already experiencing. But that doesn't show up. You know, it just kind of like is presented like this um abstract futuristic thing that is like not rooted in like present reality and i think you know to your point about um 
the the nerd framework. I didn't I hadn't heard that before, so it's a good it's good to hear you like um outline it. But like, you know, like educating yourself, like you don't have to just like it's sort of like oversimplifying it or making it seem like oh this is some new thing that's happening and that's why we should care about it versus like recognizing like this has actually been happening um for a really long time yeah and um that's that's one that we really try to get people to stay away from and also hanger imagery um is another one that uh i think i'm seeing less and less of it so that's good but i think that there is sort of like a impulse to like think of the most grotesque like ways that people will end their pregnancies and Instead of that, we are really encouraging people to like learn about medication abortion because it's not, that's something that existed back um, pre row mm-hmm. um, and that it, it really is like a a revolution in um, science and medicine that makes not having to take those other measures like it's not necessary mm-hmm. basically. Mm-hmm. So um, it's just kind of like a pivot. Like, of course, you know, the thought comes in, but like, it doesn't have to be the thing that you put out. Like instead learn about medication, um, su- suggest and promote that. Yeah. Um, yeah. <clears throat> the caveat I will just say about medication is that um, medically it is safe and um, a really good way to end a pregnancy um, it is also criminalized depending on which state you live in. So uh-huh. some states it is legal. Some states um, you can get use telemedicine to get it. Other states um, you are not, um, it is not legal to use medication and to receive it by mail. So it's just kind of like a know your rights thing mm-hmm. too that is really important for people to know. Um, there's a repro legal defense Um organization that has a lot of information about that that I encourage people to read um to know your rights but yeah it's just kind of like it's a it's a double-edged thing like it's a great invention and also you just need to know um what you're doing yeah yeah no I appreciate you sharing that um if people want to follow you or follow the work however you want to point people towards how can they keep learning yeah, well, I have pivoted um, to living a less public life. That is so fair. So there's no way to that follow me publicly. And I want it that way, um, especially in just like such a violent um, That's real. opposition That's that real. we have. But um, but I would say follow abortion funds because there's it's a really rich source of information. And it's literally at abortion funds on every platform. So um, Twitter, um, Instagram, probably on um on facebook which i left a long time ago it's probably just the name national network of abortion funds but every state has one sometimes it's the city so you can literally google an an abortion fund and find the one that's closest to you um so get involved great well i thank you so much for joining us i really hope that people are hearing the message we need to widen our aperture that the reproductive justice movement does widen our aperture to be able to see all the ways in which these these pieces of work are connected and that we need to be willing to like jump into the stream of work to not feel like we're discovering it anew. Like you said, we're not Columbusing it, but to, to honor the work that's come before us, to step into it, to join, to be in community so that the movement can continue to grow. So thanks so much for joining me, Imani. 
Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. And that thank you. Yeah. What's up? That was a great summary. Oh, good. I'm glad. I'm glad. That means a lot coming from you. <laughs> and thank you all for joining us on Raising Equity.